Is the movie The Conjuring Haunted? Yes, I'm still looking for a haunted movie. <laughs> and then we look at a book that was so mysterious, a man asked an angel for a translation. The book goes missing for 400 years, and then things get really weird. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you're having a great day too. I'm having a great day even though I just recorded this episode and it ended up being an hour long with two additional stories and I was like, there's no way I can edit this down. Scraped it, moved a couple stories around. I like this version better, even though I just started recording it because sometimes it's... Sometimes I record an episode, it's almost like a rough draft. And as I'm recording it, I'm like, I'm just not feeling it. I'm not feeling this episode. I need to do it again. Now I got all my, I don't know, bees in my bonnet. What's the thing? Ducks in a row, ducks in a row. Now I have all my ducks in a row and I'm ready to go. This one will not be 56 minutes long either, by the way. I want to uh, let you know I woke up this morning and guess what was laying on the ground next to my couch, a.k.a. where I sleep? My black boxers, they turned up now. Did my boxers disappear? Did a ghost steal my boxers and then return them because they heard my podcast? Or did I just not see them the other times that I was looking for them? Who knows? <laughs> Both completely valid. Obviously, I probably just didn't find them. And, you know, a couple people who listen to this podcast have been over to my apartment. I'm sure the past two days they've been yelling, just clean your apartment. You won't have to worry about your clothes disappearing if your apartment is clean. My response to that is, you should come over and help me clean my apartment. It's a win-win. I get a clean apartment, and you get the knowledge that all the clothes that I'm wearing are 100% clean. Because they're not missing somewhere in my house. Ghost, if you stole my boxers, that was awfully mean of you, but also thank you for giving them back. If I had just misplaced them, ah, eh, no harm, no foul. Let's go ahead and get <laughs> let's go ahead and get started on with the episode. So, what we're going to talk about right now is I'm going to start off with the Book of Soiga. Book of Soiga. There was two copies of this book. We're back. Well, let's go back in time to the 1500s. Now, there was two known copies of the Book of Soiga, and what it is, it, it it is a magical text. What makes it interesting is that it is focused on the Christian Kabbalah. So you go, what's the Kabbalah? So what Kabbalism is, it is a Jewish mystic practice. It's basically like magic. It, it would basically be religious magic. It's kind of a bastardization of what it is, but that's what it is. It's Magic, that comes from God, not from any sort of dark sources. I think you could argue that maybe Moses was practicing Kabbalism when he threw his staff, turned it into a snake. And it's based on like the, what is it, the Seraphot, that's like the nine orb tree thing. It kind of looks like the big, it looks like the nine realms from Thor. I mean, that's probably the best comparison I can have it. Anyway, so you have the Jewish mysticism, which is Kabbalism. And Christian thinkers and philosophers and particularly magicians wanted to have their own version. So they created Christian Kabbalism. So you took all of the Christian beliefs, then added in all of the old Jewish mysticism. It was the rage of Europe for a short time, but it really didn't catch on. Christians don't like magic in general. But anyway, so 
this book had was full of Christian Kabbalistic imagery and spells. It had the names of angels, which you very rarely see. Generally, we have books that are like the names of the demons. But this book contained the names of angels, so that made it very rare as far as the knowledge inside of that. It had something in it called the Book of Rays, and it allowed you to understand the evil forces of the universe. And then it went into things like about the humors, which is like blood, bile, mucus, something else. And then the four elements and stuff like that. So it was basically like this overall mystical, magical text. And you're thinking, Jason, places were full of those things back in the 1500s. But there was something particular about this book. Not just the names of the angels, which again made it rare. But the book ended with 36 tables of random letters. 36 tables. thirty-six, And each table had 36 rows and 36 columns. And it was just random letters. And no one could make heads or tails of it. They knew it was important, but they couldn't make heads or tails of it. No one knew who wrote the Book of Soiga. But it fell into the hands of John Dee. And he was the one who really, really made it famous. Now, John Dee at the time, we're still in the 1500s, was a preeminent scientist and rational thinker of England. The Queen used him, got a lot of advice from him. He was actually the one who proposed building a public library. He says, you know, we have all these rich people who have all these private libraries. We should have a place where our libraries, where everyone kind of puts their books together for, I can borrow this one and people can borrow this one. It's for the public. It's for everybody. He was a main proponent of that. At the same time, he was really into magic. He was really into astrology he was into scrying and mediums and things like that. And he saw them as much as he was a scientist, like a mathematician and an astronomer. He felt like science and magic both had the same goal. It was to understand the workings of the universe. So he came, comes across the book of Soiga and he becomes obsessed with it. He cannot, he reads the book and he's like, oh, it's pretty good. It's page turner. Has all these you know, mystical thoughts in that, names of the angels, things like that. Book of Rays, always want to read that. He's reading it, and then he gets to the end, and he goes, what is going on here? The last 36, there's just a bunch of tables. It's like, basically, I'm going to call them 36 pages, but basically the end of the book was just these tables, 36 pages of 36 columns, 36 rows. He's like, what does this mean? Begins to drive him mad, in a way. So he hooks up with his buddy, who's a medium, and he goes, listen, I need to find out what these tables mean. Let's contact an angel. So they contact the angel Uriel. Now, everything I've told you before is fact. It's historical fact. Now we're going to get into the weird stuff, the beginning of the weird stuff, actually. He contacts Uriel, and Uriel appears. So if you're a skeptic, you're like, that's lame. But anyways, let's accept this for a second. So Uriel appears to John D. And John D. goes, what's up with these last 36 pages? And Uriel goes, those were given to Adam from God. What? Okay, that, that, that's cool and all, but I mean, like, what, what do these pages mean? Uriel goes, the only person who knows what those pages mean is the Archangel Michael. And then John D. goes, you know, I heard a legend that if you are able to decipher the last 36 pages of this book you only live for two and a half years and Uriel responds no you'll live to be a hundred and some odd years 
And he's like, well, okay, great. Can you, that's great. But can you help me? And Uriel's like, peace. And he leaves, right? So John D. really doesn't get the answer that he wants, which is what is in the pages. He does get a little more information that God gave them to Adam and that only Mark, Michael can translate them. Now, why he didn't then summon the Archangel Michael, I don't know. Maybe he didn't know the summoning spell for that, or maybe he tried. The, what we know happened after that factually is things did not go well for John D. He ended up running into some money trouble and had to sell parts of his library. He ended up leaving England for a while. When he came back, someone broke in and stole a bunch of his books. And he eventually passes away. But because of his reputation as such a deep thinker, people for 400 years tried to find this book. His name was linked to the Book of Soiga, because like I said, he was obsessed with it. People knew he was researching it. People knew that he highly valued this book, and they knew there was only two copies, and at this time, there were no copies. Nobody could find them anywhere. They were gone. People thought they're in some private person's collection, or it was destroyed, or who knows. But the books didn't exist, and people looked all over. They would go to the, the uh, British Public Library. I, it has a real name, but like the Royal Library. And they would look for, look under S for Soiga. Couldn't find it. They'd look under B for Book of Soiga. Couldn't find it. So they're like, the government, they don't have a copy of this. The main library doesn't have a copy of this. It's gone for 400 years. No one sees it anywhere. In 1994, there was a researcher. She was looking into John D. and, of course, the Book of Soiga because they were so closely connected. And, and imagine this. I keep saying, like, he's closely connect connected. Imagine if, let's say, Stephen Hawking, in his later years, his past 20 years, said he found a book that explained the secrets of the universe, and it's called Alabaster, and then he dies. People are going to try to find that book. And that's basically what John Dee was considering the Book of Soiga. He was not just this weird mystic dude. He was an amazing scientific mind who also believed this wacky stuff. And then he just dies and, and the book goes missing. And so you had mystics looking for the book and you had, uh, you know, philosophers looking for the book, historians looking for the book. No one could find it. In 1994, Deborah Harkness is a researcher who, again, is researching John Dee and the Book of Soiga. She's going through his diary in the Royal British Library. She's going through his diary. And she sees an entry where, for whatever reason, he changed the title of the book from the Book of Soiga, which is what everyone knew it as, to Aldaria. And then officially changed the title of the book to Aldaria Siv Soiga Vokor. She's looking at it and she's like, what? Oh, she go no joke. She goes look in the section for A's in the historical manuscripts. Sitting on the shelf or maybe behind glass. I don't know. But she goes to the section where the A's and there it is filed away. Aldaria Siv Soiga Vokor. She takes the book. It's the book of Soiga. He had changed the name, and so when people had gotten it, it has moved around libraries and stuff like that. It had a different name on it. So when it finally did filter into the Royal British Library, well, I don't know if that's the official name, but it was there. So they have it. They found it, and they're able, they translated it. It was originally in Latin, now it's in English, and it does have that information in it, the names of the angels, the Book of Rays, it's all complete. But of course, what everyone is curious about, because all of that stuff, I mean, other than, you know, the angel names, most of it is is pretty well known. 
the 36 tables, the 36 pages, this is what people were looking at. So they're looking at it and they're like, yeah, it's just random letters. This doesn't make sense. Why is this even in here? Okay, so now we're going to jump ahead to 2006, where we have a another researcher named James A. Reeds. Now, James, Jimmy, I'll call him James, James is loves breaking codes. He loves getting into these his fingers dirty and looking into these mysteries. He had previously been working on the Voynich Manuscript. What the Voynich Manuscript is, it, it is a book. We don't know who wrote it. We don't know really when it was wrote. We don't know where it was written. It's written in an indecipherable language. It's a whole book. And there's drawings of weird herbs and animals in it. And people are like, what is this? Some people have thought it was just gibberish. Other people think it's some crazy code. Most people have tried decoding it. All have failed. He was working on the Voynich Manuscript, and he goes, you know what, I think I'm going to try something easy. Let me get a crack at the Book of Soiga. Let me look at those tables. Now, luckily, nowadays, we have computers. He was a- This is amazing. He was able to take these random sets of letters and ran all these computations through them. He basically, it came down to, there was, between all 36 pages, there was 46,656 letters. 36 pages, 36 columns, 36 rows. And he was able to crack the code. So on the pages themselves, we just see the 36 columns, 36 rows, and random letters. But each page had a purpose. The letters weren't random. They were each attached to a magic word. A magic word, forward and backwards, was the key. And you go, well, how do we know that? Because when he was able to crack the code... He was able to link 24 of the pages to the zodiac. So each zodiac sign had two pages. So if you put in, there were specific words that were used, magic words equated to those zodiac signs. So Aries was Nisram. So you'd have one page that was just Nisram, Marsan, Nisram, Marsan, Nisram, Marsan, all the way down the 36 rows. And it matched it matched up and then you'd have another page for Aries which was Marson Nisum Marson Nisum they matched 24 pages for the zodiac signs 7 for the planets that were known at that time 4 for the elements and 1 for something called the magistrate or magistrate the letters weren't random they were able to be matched to known mystical words of that time the question is why the fact that you could create this code, 36 columns, 36 rows, 36 pages. Numerology was very, very important in Kabbalistic theory, and so was names and languages, names particularly. 46,656 letters. A code created by hand without a computer that was unbreakable until we had a computer that appeared completely random until you found out the magical phrases that unlocked the code. Why? Who made it? This is where it gets weird. Let me give you a little precursor, though. If you've ever played Minecraft, there is the option for what is known as a seed. There's a little seed option. You type in a word, it will randomly generate an entire world based on the algorithm of that word. If I typed in, or numbers, whatever, if I typed in 111, 
I will get one world. If I type in 112 or 1111, I don't get a slight variation of the original world. I get an entirely new world. So keep that in mind. This is from the website, Blog of Wonders. The article is Soiga, the book that kills. So this is, the blog puts this theory forth. And I think it's the closest thing that we have to understanding what the book of Soiga, what those 36 tables are supposed to be. So I'm reading this article, and they quote the Gospel of John, where he says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. The book of Soiga, this is the hypothesis here on this blog, and it's quite amazing. The book of Soiga, the 36 tables, they're universes, they're realities, they're futures, they're something... Blank. The 36 columns, the 36 rows are blank until the word is entered in, until you give it the seed. And then it generates. And it would continue to generate infinitely if you went more than 36 columns. If you repeated that magical word over and over again across a thousand columns, it's going to keep spreading. What we see in these tables in the book of Soiga is a glimpse of these other worlds, of these other realities. A book of tables given to Adam, showing him not just the power of God's creation, but the power of of words, the power of language. Enter the word. You're given the code. The question is, who came up with the code? Was it to hide something? Or was it to reveal something? If we knew the code, we have the seed. I can put in Jason, and it would say Jason, no such, Jason, no such, Jason, no such, across 36 columns, or 36 rows. It would say Jason, no such, Jason, no such, Jason, no such, across 36 rows, and it will, it will populate a random set of letters. But are the letters random? Do they show something else? Why create such an elaborate code if it was completely random? The only thing I can think of is to create the code is if you thought that it was revealing something or hiding something. And maybe it doesn't. Maybe the person who created the code was off their rocker and they were just smart enough to come up with this code. But if the code was completely random, how were we able to match it up to the astrological symbols, the four elements, the seven planets, and the magistrate? If it was completely random, we should have gotten no answers for it. There was a purpose to the code. Is it, if you speak that magic word, if you view the universe through that magic word, through that seed, the page being blank, is a blank reality, but when the word is spoke, as God spoke existence into reality, are you basically seeing realities and futures on these tables? Is there something mystical about this code? Is there something scientific about this code? Is it random? Did an angel... Tell a leading scientist that this book was given from God to Adam? Who knows? I mean, obviously the logical answer is no. 
But even if you dismiss, even if you dismiss the angel helping translate the book, even if you dismiss the creation story of Genesis, what we are left with is a mathematical code that really shouldn't have been possible to create over four or five hundred years ago. And to what end why it was created? If you spend enough time, you might have been able to do this, but who and why? But the bigger question is, what does it mean? I can see why John Dee was obsessed over these tables. I get it. Because if you, if you think, if he had a hint of the truth that if you had these mystical words, the table would, quote-unquote, make sense, you still wouldn't know what it meant, but you would know why it existed. You would know why the letters were there in the first place, in that order. This is blowing my mind, honestly. Because I think about it on two levels. One, I think about it on the mystical level that are these basically visions of other worlds and other realities where that word was spoke instead of whatever word was spoke that created our universe. If instead of saying Earth, they said Nisram. But then on a scientific level, the fact that somebody could create such an advanced code that wasn't random but appeared random. Chaos theory, basically. Fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. But then again, if you break the code, do you die in two and a half years? Or do you live to be a hundred? Just another weird mystery on this thing. Book of Soiga. I don't know, man. It's blowing my mind, honestly. It's blowing my mind. So, you know, I don't even know if I have time for another uh, another story. I think I'm going to save the haunted movie thing for tomorrow because I think this... I think this kind of is just going to exist in its own episode. You know what? Yeah, we're going to call it here. Conjuring can wait. Haunted movie one can wait. We're going to go ahead and end it here because, again, like this story is just blowing my mind. Who wrote it? When? Why? How? Is it mystical? Is it scientific? I don't know. Talking about the Conjuring being a haunted film seems a little anticlimactic after that. So we're going to go ahead and end it here. Hopefully you guys don't mind. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. Twitter is at Jason O'Carpenter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. And check out that website and check out those codes. Maybe you'll see an alternate reality of your own. Have a great one, guys.